0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's such an honor to, to get to walk through God's word with you and to have you here this morning. My name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, we're just grateful for those watching online and those here in person. Uh, we're going through this series uh, this month called Home for Christmas. Before we jump in, I uh, wanted to mention in two weeks is Christmas at Calvary, and we're so excited about what God's going to do Christmas Eve here at Calvary. And if you're not aware, we have two services that day uh, at 1030, which is this time, normal time, and then at one o'clock, both services are identical, Um, if you have kids, Calvary kids, uh, all of our Calvary Kids experiences are happening at the 1030 service. and the one o'clock service, uh, we invite everyone to uh, celebrate together, kids and all, here in the sanctuary, and we're going to have an awesome morning. These are candlelight services. We get to walk through uh, some amazing Christmas music. Uh, God's Word, and always is my favorite thing, close out the service as we light the candles, sing Silent Night. So I uh, hope you can join us, invite someone uh, that day. 1030 and one o'clock are the services. Uh, today, we're going to walk through God's Word. Why don't, why don't you Turn to your neighbor and say, Get ready. <clears throat> Get ready. We're, you know, I always hate it when people do that. So when you're up here, you can just, you know, you can do it, I guess. Um, you know, the holidays are such a crazy time of the year. <clears throat> it's this one unique time where the reality of how outrageous your family is becomes more evident. You know, the rest of the year, you can kind of avoid them. You know, that. That that your 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 crazy cousin Eddie or your uncle Buck or or that one distant relative that just has this weird resemblance to Amy Farrah Fowler, Uh, you know you know what I'm talking about. Like you can avoid them all year, but then Christmas. The holidays and you have to run across them you have to, to interact with them the the one family member that brings up all the political stuff at, at, at the dinner table or or that one person that just has this really weird thing about them that you're like that's just awkward uh, we have all of this and then then the holidays come and we have to deal with it and, and the question is how do we deal with it how, how do you process it uh you see we can we can customize so many things in our lives uh, your, your home screen or, uh, on your computer or, or uh, Google Maps, just the voice that you get. Or, or uh, one of my favorite things, we use Waze sometimes and Waze you can uh, change the voice to Cookie Monster. And, Uh, My kids love that. It'll go, it'll say, you know, turn left, um, num, 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 and then you get to your destination, and, and and Cookie Monster says, you have reached your destination, cookies, and like, we can do all of that, right? It's fun to customize, and our world has never been more customized. We have so many choices available to us, but there's one thing that you can't choose. It's your family. You don't get to choose your family. I know sometimes we wish we could choose our family, but we don't. We just have to deal with it. You have to deal with your, your, your family. However it comes, with all the good and the bad, you don't get to choose who your family is. And, and one of the challenges of Christmas is how we deal with our families. How do you reconcile what could be years of hurt and pain that maybe family members have inflicted on you or your family? Or how do you outrun the looming shadow your family can cast over you because of the mistakes and sins of generations before you? Things that you didn't even do, but they loom over you. And when we look at the Christmas story, which we're looking at throughout this series, Home at Christmas, we're we're walking through the Christmas story and saying, hey, what are the lessons we can learn for today to be healthy, to have a healthy home? And and when you look at the Christmas story, you have this assumption like, man, I wish we had the family that Mary and Joseph had. Man, it seems so perfect. I, I wish we could somehow attain to that level. But... When you dive into the story, it's actually not what you think. See, the reality is, um, the story, the family that Mary and Joseph, especially Joseph, came from wasn't necessarily your, your perfect family. And, and what we're going to do today is something that I haven't done very often we're going to, uh, to walk through a genealogy. Now, if you're not familiar with the genealogy is, it's literally where it lists this family begat this person and this person begat this person or this person, and, and it just follows the family lineage. Um, they're, they're, throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, you see them a lot, um, can be one of the most boring parts of the Bible, but let me give you a little heads up, uh, it's incredible. And so before you, you know, jump offline or exit quickly, the Steelers aren't playing today, you know, you're good. Um, the, the, what I've found is the genealogies, when you dive into them a little bit, can be so rich and deep with meaning. And that, that's what we're going to do today. Uh, in fact, Ma- as Matthew opens his gospel, right before he starts to tell the Christmas story and how Christ came about, he provides the family lineage that Joseph came from. This is the Jewish lineage of Jesus. Luke's gospel, so you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke's gospel, he also starts with a lineage, but he, he shares his lineage right after the story of Christ's birth. And, and Luke, in his lineage, he goes all the way back to Adam Uh, Luke was writing to a Greek audience, so uh, the Jewish lineage didn't really mean as much, so he went all the way back to the first man, Adam, and he shares the lineage of Christ. But Matthew, he's writing to a Jewish audience, so he starts with Abraham, who's really the father of Judaism, one of the patriarchs of Judaism in Christianity. And and so he goes back to to Abraham. And and when you think about the lineage of, of Christ, of Jesus, you would assume, like this lineage is probably packed full of some amazing people, kings and prophets and leaders and people with incredible legacies. That's what you'd expect, and, and there is that. But, but there's also other things. There's also murderers, prostitutes, some of the most dishonest people you could ever meet packed into that lineage. And so what we wanna do today is we're gonna walk through it and see who and what was hidden in Joseph's family tree and which, which ultimately wouldn't just be Joseph's family tree, it would be Jesus's earthly family tree. Uh, Here's where we'll start, Matthew chapter 1 in verse 1. And here's how it opens. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob. And I want to pause there for a second. Now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are, are the three patriarchs. Uh, it's three of the most prominent men in all of the Old Testament which is the first part of the Bible these, these are the giants of the faith so to speak okay and, and you read a lot through especially Genesis about Abraham Isaac and Jacob and, and, and the third one there while Jacob is one of the patriarchs he's also one of the shadiest people in all of scripture like this is the last guy you would want to be doing a deal with because I promise you, he's gonna end up on top. He's gonna end up getting more out of you than you want. If you've ever had one of those car salesmen where you're just a little hesitant, you're like, I think I'm gonna end up paying double for this car than what I should. I'm not quite sure. And you end up doing it. Because they know how to work things, right? They know how to move the numbers. They know how to talk, sweet talk you. They know, they know how to do it. This was Jacob. Jacob, he lied and deceived his father into giving him his, the inheritance and blessing that his older brother Esau was supposed to get. In, in other words, that verse is supposed to read Abraham, Isaac, and Esau, but it doesn't. It reads Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because Jacob, he, he tricked his father into giving him his inheritance, uh, the inheritance that his older brother Esau was supposed to get. He, he was tricky. After uh, his father-in-law Laban tricked him, and, and uh, Jacob Uh, goes through the wedding ceremony of that time, cultural wedding ceremony, and and the veil is pulled back that wedding night, and he discovers he just married Leah instead of Rachel, who he was supposed to marry because his father-in-law Laban tricked him. Uh, And then he was committed to work uh, a number of other years just to earn the right to marry the other daughter, Rachel, as well. Like, this was Jacob. Jacob then deceives his father-in-law Laban and basically takes his best livestock from him Jacob was a shady guy. Throughout most of his life, Jacob was a deceiver, a liar, a downright selfish man. And yet, Jacob is in the family tree of Jesus. That that guy, not the guy you would want. And, and And it goes on. Jacob is the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother is Tamar. Now, Tamar, this is the first female name we have in this lineage, which isn't a super common thing to do in in Jewish genealogies as it is, but Tamar is an interesting story. You go back to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 38, and you read the story of Tamar. And what Tamar did was she ended up pretending to be a prostitute and getting pregnant through her father-in-law, Judah. It's a pretty messed up story. Uh, what took place was Tamar was the wife of Judah's eldest son, Ur, but Ur was very wicked. So in Genesis 38, it says that, that God killed him. He was wicked, so the Lord killed him. So, so Ju- Tamar is now a young widow without children, no children. So Judah then gives her, his second son, Onan, to, Tamar, to be Tamar's husband. And, and he too proved to be a pretty ungodly man. And it says the Lord killed him also. Like this wasn't a good family. Something wasn't working out here, right? Uh, this, of course, brought even more grief to Tamar, and she was now twice widowed, young, and still childless. When Tamar realized that her father-in-law Judah was not going to give his youngest son to be her husband, she decided she was gonna take matters into her own hands. I mean, aside here, you know, for Judah, I, I don't know if I'd give my son either, you know? One, two, both die, why, why, hey, don't, don't try the third one. So he doesn't. He doesn't give his third son to Tamar, and she's going to take matters into her own hands. So she heard that Judah was going to Timnah to shear his sheep. And, and this story uh, speaks volumes to both Tamar and Judah. Because Tamar knows, hey, he's going to Timnah to, to shear his sheep, so she decides she's going to trick him. She uh, dresses like a prostitute. Uh, puts herself there uh, along the road that she knew Judah would be traveling and convinces him to pay her to have sexual relations with her and she becomes pregnant. Now, the interesting part of the story is Judah had a reputation that was well known enough that she knew if she could position herself along the road that he would indulge in that. That's also not great. Um, So what happens is Tamar gets pregnant. She gets pregnant from her own father-in-law. She then confronts Judah with the reality of what's taken place. And when Judah realizes what he had done, he says this, it's recorded in Genesis 38, 26. She has been more righteous than I because I did not give her Shelah, my son. Now, while Judah is saying she was more righteous than I, neither of them were really in the, <laughs> in the right here, right? Uh, neither of them. This, this listen to this. this is the family tree of Jesus. These are the stories. I don't know what kind of stories your family tells or like what's in your past, like what your Uncle Buck just like, uh, you know, decides to throw on the table on Christmas morning and all that he tells, whatever it might be. Think about this. Think about this happening around Thanksgiving table. Like, hey, remember our, our, our cousin, our, our aunt, our grandma, our great-grandfather Judah? Remember what they did? Wasn't that crazy? Like, this is Jesus' family tree. Uh, you know, uh, this, they both had this mixed paths past and, and they made some really dumb mistakes. And Matthew, what's interesting, Matthew didn't have to mention Tamar's name in this genealogy and bring focus back to this really weird, distorted story. He could have simply written, Judah begot Perez and Zerah Perez begot Salmon. And yet, Matthew puts her name in this genealogy intentionally. Because Judah and Tamar are both in the family tree of Jesus. <clears throat> These messed up people are in the family tree of Jesus. And <clears throat> the genealogy goes on. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Which, by the way, if you're having any children and they're a boy, Ram is a really good, like, masculine name. To call your kid. Like, if we're not having any more kids. But... You know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna call it, man, Ram. Like, that just sounds like, you know, amazing. But Ram, the father of Minadab. Minadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And there's uh, another mention here. You see, while, while Tamar dressed up like a prostitute uh, for this one moment with her father-in-law Judah, which was wrong, Rahab, who's mentioned here, She was a legitimate prostitute, like practicing prostitute. She didn't just uh, dress up like a prostitute once. And she is listed in this lineage. Uh, Joshua 2 in the Old Testament, which is the sixth book of the Bible, Joshua 2 tells us that despite her being a prostitute, she showed hospitality to the two spies that Joshua would send into Jericho before, before they would conquer it. She would save the lives of those spies, hiding them, from local authorities as they scoped out the city while they were there. Joshua 8 tells us that when Joshua destroyed Jericho, God would spare Rahab and her family uh, from from the destruction that took place. Uh, Throughout the Bible, five different places, Rahab is referred to as a prostitute. Like God is trying to really make sure you knew this. Joshua chapter 2 chapter 6 chapter 25 in the new testament hebrews chapter 11 james chapter 2 each time rahab is mentioned it is mentioned that she was a prostitute and we're not told in scripture if she ever stopped practicing uh, as a prostitute but most scholars believe that before be, that believe that she came to faith before she married Salmon and that she never uh, played the role of a harlot again after that beyond that though rahab was not Jewish. She was not a Jew, and and though she married a a Jewish man, she was a Gentile, something that is shocking to be included in the lineage of the Jewish Messiah. This is Rahab. Once again, Matthew could have left this out. He didn't have to include Rahab in this lineage. He could have just gone from one to the next. He could have easily just said, Salmon begot Boaz, Boaz begot Obed, and, and nothing is said of it, but he didn't. He includes Rahab. Because Rahab is part of the family tree of Jesus. And the story goes on. The the lineage, the genealogy continues. It says, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. And and there you go, first mention of a king. And you would think, okay, this makes sense. This is Jesus' lineage, lineage, his family tree. There should be kings, King David. Uh, What you don't understand is King David was an interesting man. He was arguably the greatest king in Israel's history. However, however, he also was responsible for the death of one of his top soldiers, a man named Uriah, and for the worst of reasons, too, because he was having an affair with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. How how ugly, disturbing, disturbing. This is this like reeks of everything that we hate about authority and power mis, being misused. But David, with all of his mistakes and baggage, is found in a family tree of Jesus. And in fact, just in case you missed the fact that David is included in all of his baggage, Matthew highlights the story in the very next verse. He's like, if you don't know what King David did, let me just highlight it and circle it for you so you're aware of who this guy is. He's not just this incredible warrior and king. He made some horrible mistakes. Very next verse, it says, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Matthew's like, in case you missed it, let me just circle back to that. Solomon isn't just another guy. His mother was Uriah's wife. David, in that lineage, killed that man because of an affair with Solomon's mother, Bathsheba. The murderer, murdered soldier is included in this lineage of Jesus. Isn't that wild? And this, the Solomon that's written there was born from the woman that David had an affair with, and he would become one of the wisest and greatest kings In Israel's history he would in fact go on to write three Old Testament books the book of Proverbs Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon that 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 was the product of an incredibly wrong sinful act Uh, the the, the marriage that took place following that affair Solomon was the product of that And, and and look what God would do now we're only a third of the way through the genealogy and we're not going to continue through the whole thing today, but we're only a third of the way through it. And, and what you're reading about these stories sound more like a Jerry Springer show or you know, the cast for a, another Big Brother ep, a season. And you're like, this, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> this genealogy shouldn't be the genealogy, the family tree of the Messiah, of Jesus. This isn't what's supposed to take place. Uh, it makes you think, is this the God that we're actually talking about? Like, is, do we understand what we're looking at here? I remember one time my, my mother-in-law, she was reading through the Bible in a year, and, and she called me when she was somewhere, like maybe three-fourths of the way through the book of Genesis. And she called me and said, have you read this before? I'm like, yeah, I've, I've read a few times. And, and she said, do you know what's in this book? Like, this is really screwed up. And these people are doing horrible things to each other. And they're supposed to be the godly ones. I'm like, yeah, it's true. Genesis is pretty wild. And, and when you look at this lineage, you're like, what is going on? Like, couldn't God have picked a better family? Like, couldn't he have picked, like, the family that has it all together? Like, where every generation's, like, leave it to Beaver, and, and they all just love each other and get along. And even when they don't get along, they just passive-aggressively ignore it and move on. Like, couldn't they have that? But that wasn't it. That wasn't the family. That's not what it, that's not what it is. And, and, and it makes you think, what kind of God would do this? Does, does he just look the other way to injustice, to evil, or to manipulative leaders, just so he can accomplish his goals at the expense of the victims or others that are impacted by this? Like, when you hear these things, when you hear stories like this, in this, in this lineage specifically, it can be very easy to lump this genealogy into the same category, as many of the scandals that have come to light in, in various nonprofits recently, or denominations, or even churches, like like this ancient genealogy could seem to almost have a place in the Me Too or Church Too movements. Like it seems like it might fit, and it makes me think: like is this the thread woven throughout the history of Christianity? Is this what it is? Manipulative leaders. People who use authority for their own benefit, who exploit others, who who create victims but keep moving on and ignore the impact of their actions. Is is that what it's all about? And when we read names like these, is God just ignoring the horrible mistakes of these men and women just so he can push forward his ultimate plan at the expense of those victims? Well, there are a couple answers that are important to, to walk through for those very valid questions to what we're looking at. First, each of the people that I've mentioned, paid a high price for the mistakes that they made. Their inclusion in this list does not mean that they didn't face consequences for their choices and their actions, because they did. David and Bathsheba, the child that was born of that affair, would die. And you can go through each of them. There was incredible pain. They weren't hidden, covered up, or in any way dismissed. If you look back at the stories of Tamar or Rahab or David, each of them would face loss, pain, and the impact directly affecting them of the consequences of their actions. So, so it wasn't that they're included and like their inclusion into this list is, means that there were no consequences. There were significant consequences. In fact, if you read uh, the prophet Nathan would come and confront David directly because of his sin and, and David immediately repents and recognizes the wrong that he had done. Beyond that, These are the opening verses of the New Testament. And and think about the weight of this, okay? This Bible, 66 books in the Bible, there's 29 books in the the New Testament, okay? Uh, 27 books, sorry. 27 books in the New Testament. And, and, And those 27 books, these, Matthew is the very first book of the New Testament. These are the opening verses of how the whole New Testament starts. Like when you start a book, when you start a collection of books, like you would think, Give a zinger at the beginning, right? You know, share how inspiring. Or uh, No, we start with like the worst of the worst. It's like bad news bears right out of the gate. This is how we're starting. Verses, these verses would lay the groundwork for the next 27 books of the Bible. What would follow would be the story of all that Jesus accomplished and what he would set in motion through the establishment of the church. And in the very opening verses of that New Testament, before we hear anything about how Jesus was born, what he would become, or even what he would set in motion, God exposes the unsavory past of his earthly lineage. Matthew pulls no punches. Different than many earthly organizations might do, God pulls back the curtain himself, and he airs all of the dirty laundry. He's like, we're not gonna hide anything here. We're gonna actually veer a little off the normal path, we're gonna include some women into this genealogy that they might not normally do and, and even uh, some stories that we could quickly over, uh, overlook and, and, and try to breeze over. But he doesn't. And it's kind of remarkable if you think about it. That, that's not how the PR experts would draw it up. That's not what you'd expect to see coming from this holy book we call the Bible. You wouldn't expect to see all of that kind of messed up mistakes and sin of the past. And what these verses are saying isn't that the actions of those folks included in this genealogy were right or justified because of the eventual outcome, but that God is faithful and doesn't abandon a person or family because of the mistakes of their past. I don't know what your family looks like. Maybe you have the perfect family. God bless you, and that's wonderful. But for the rest of us, we don't have perfect families. I remember sitting with my grandfather, uh, my dad's dad, he lived with us for a few years, passed away when he was 91. He was born in 1901. He was a foreman on the railroad. Um, when I was a little, young child, when he was living in our home, I had the opportunity to lead him to Christ. So for most of his 90 years, he wasn't following Jesus. Not only was he not following Jesus, he was about as far away from that as possible. Um, my, my, his name was Buck, and everything you would in, in, expect from a man whose nickname was Buck, He was he would drink, he'd chew tobacco, he'd swear, he'd yell, he, he did all of that, okay? I remember him telling us the stories when he would get drunk and just drive a car into a ditch and just leave it there and keep going, wander his way home, and he, he didn't live a great life. We, we have stories in our past, in our families, that are far worse than that sometimes. This is the family that we didn't choose, but we are part of, right? And when we look at those families, when we look at the stories and the generations, you, you may be, you know, uh, gener- the first generation that is starting to try to come to grips with alcoholism. You might be the first generation that's actually recognizing anger and abuse isn't a, a good thing. You, you might be the first generation that's trying to, to, to get beyond the, the normal routine of your family tree, and it's difficult because when you look back, you're like, but so much has defined my family and I feel destined to follow in their footsteps. I feel like I'm stuck and I can't break free from that. And it feels like this draw that we don't have the ability to overcome. But, but this story, this lineage, this family tree of Jesus, I think has an incredible message for us. As we walk into the Christmas story, this is such an incredible message. This is a simple, simple thought. But when forgiveness is present, failure isn't final. And, and this is what's remarkable about the lineage of Jesus and remarkable about your family lineage and your life, that when forgiveness is present, failure isn't final. Like, they, this is something that the Apostle Paul writes about in Romans chapter 5. He said, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. I love what, what Josh said earlier. Grace is such a powerful component, an expression of forgiveness. How, how do you outrun the past of your family, the lineage of your family. How do you outrun the mistakes in your own life, and your own past? But by the grace of God, but by the grace of God. Because when forgiveness is present, failure isn't final. I don't care what the death sentence is. I don't care if you and everyone around you has told you you were destined to follow in your father, your grandfather, your your great-grandfather's footsteps. You're going to struggle with addiction, you're going to struggle with anger, you're going to struggle with abuse, you're going to struggle with your finances, you're going to, you're going to walk through one divorce after another, because that's what everyone before you has done. You're going, to, you're going to have all of these things that carry this baggage that has been passed down from generation to generation. But God. but God, forgiveness, forgiveness. the very epitome of forgiveness was in Jesus. The embodiment, the physical embodiment of God's grace. Was present in Jesus. And he was placed into a family that wasn't exactly the ideal model family. And yet, that's where we find ourselves. Think about this in your family, in your own life. You see, Matthew's genealogy isn't primarily about the people in the genealogy, which you would think. Matthew's genealogy is actually about God. It's not about the people and all that they've done, it's about the Faithfulness and consistency of God. He carries along this family line, in spite of all of their failures. He has been and will be faithful to his promises. This Christmas season, as we're talking about having a healthy home or a healthy life from these lessons that we learned from the Christmas story, I think this is such an important one that we we have to, to, to settle in on here. We have to pause and highlight. Without forgiveness, any measure of health will be absent. If forgiveness is not present, I don't care how hard you're trying to be healthy. I don't care how hard you're trying to have the the difficult conversations and, and you're trying to make things right with people who have hurt you or that you've hurt. Without forgiveness, any attempt at health is gonna be absent because when forgiveness is present, failure doesn't have to be final. It doesn't have to be the final word You actually can move past that. One of the constants of Christ's lineage was forgiveness. There were numerous imperfect people, individuals that didn't always do the right things and in fact did some pretty horrific destructive things. But through it all, God's forgiveness was consistent. And the same is true for you and for your family. In fact, Jesus would later say say this when speaking of a woman caught in adultery that had been brought before him by the religious leaders. As the worship team comes today, here's what what Jesus said in Luke chapter seven, verse 47, ESV. He said this, therefore I tell you her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. What was taking place here? Jesus had a a woman literally caught in adultery, dragged out of the home, most believed naked, through the streets of Jerusalem, to the temple courts, the holy place. The religious leaders are trying to make a, a, a scene. They're trying to, to make a, a, a spectacle. And they bring this woman before Jesus and they're trying to trick him. Like, does, does he abide by the Jewish law, which says she could be killed, stoned to death, right there? And in fact, if you read the story, the religious leaders had the stones in their hands, they're ready to go. Is that what he's going to say? Or is he going to contradict the Jewish law and become a heretic in front of everyone in the temple courts and say, no, let her go? And what does Jesus say? He says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And he writes in the dirt. We don't know what he's writing. And, and when he looks up, they're all gone. And, and the woman is standing there, shaking, frightened. What has just happened? What's taking place? And Jesus asks her this, such an important question. Woman, where are your accusers? Where did they go? What happened to them? And she said, well, they've, they've left. He said, then neither do I accuse you. Now, now, that's incredible grace and forgiveness. But there was truth to it. He said, now go and sin no more. Like, don't, don't continue in the path that you're on. And what Jesus is saying there in, in, in Luke's gospel is that when we've been forgiven much, we love much. Last week, if you were with us, we talked about the importance of love. And love flows out of this heart of forgiveness. I don't know what you've walked through. I don't know what your, your, your baggage you carry. I, I don't know uh, how difficult life is for you because of the mistakes of your past or the mistakes of your family's past. But I know this, that God's goal for you is wholeness. And wholeness is never possible without forgiveness. It's not possible. It's not possible. Wholeness isn't possible if we don't possess forgiveness. You see, the greatest gift you can give yourself this Christmas is forgiveness. Recognizing that your past and your family's past doesn't have to define you. Maybe one of the things you need to do every morning this Christmas is to say a prayer to God as you look in the mirror each day. And the prayer is, God, you don't hold my past against me. Help me not to hold my past against me. Help me to be whole, the man or the woman that you want me to be today. Let me live my life, not in light of my past or my family's past, but in light of the purpose that you have placed within me. Could you imagine Jesus as a teenager coming to grips with his family history thinking, whoa, God, Holy Spirit, what, what were you thinking? Why, did, why was I conceived in this family? You could have picked any family. Why this one? Why this family? But, but he didn't define himself by that. He defined himself by the purpose that God had placed him on this earth. He was the son of God. He was God in the flesh. And the same is true in your life. Because when forgiveness is present, failure isn't final. This wasn't just for the lineage of Jesus, but it was also true for your family lineage. It doesn't just apply to your past, it applies to those that are presently in your family. The best gift you can give those you love this Christmas isn't from Amazon or the Apple store. The greatest gift you will give them isn't even ignorance about the pain that others have caused you, but forgiveness. Forgiveness, how can you practice forgiveness? And we're gonna sing a song here in a minute. before we do that, maybe you're here, maybe you're watching the line. And I believe so deeply, so deep in my spirit that you're here today for a reason, that you're, you're watching the line for a reason. There are no accidents. And that God has you here because there is a past that has loomed over your, your, your head. You've made mistakes, you've done things, and you feel like you can't outrun that. And today, in this Christmas season, this Advent season that we're walking through, not, there's not a better time to say, you know what, today I'm drawing a line. Today that line is drawn that failure isn't final from this moment on because forgiveness is present. I'm going to receive the forgiveness of Jesus, the same forgiveness of the same Jesus who had some messed up people in his family lineage. They made some horrible mistakes, but God's forgiveness was present and it can be present in your life today. That that from this moment on, those things don't have to define you. Maybe you have the lingering consequences of them, but they don't have to define you. But the one who made you, who shaped you, who has placed you here today for a reason can define your life and your future. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? God, I thank you for your presence and your power. I thank you, Lord, that you don't abandon us. God, even in the midst of our mistakes, you don't give up on us. God, in the moments that you could walk away from us and and completely move past us, you don't because you love us with all of our baggage and issues, all our mistakes and sin, you love us. God, I pray for those that are here, those that are watching online, that all their failures, their mistakes have defined them, they've labeled them, they've carried the label, the weight of those for many years. I pray today is a jailbreak. God, you break them out of those chains today. God, that they walk in freedom, they walk in wholeness, Lord, that they walk in your forgiveness and your grace, that today is a new day, this Christmas is a new Christmas. God, that as your word says, all things can become new for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're here today, as you're continuing to pray, and you'd say, Nick, that's me, I've carried that so long and I need to break free from that. I need to walk in freedom and pursue the purpose God made me for. No longer are my mistakes, my sin gonna define me, but I want the one who made me to define me. If that's you this morning, if you're watching online, you're you're here in person, I'm gonna count to three. And on three, I'm just gonna ask you to reach your hand toward heaven. That's just a physical sign. Say, God, that's me, I, I wanna do that. I wanna take that step and begin that journey. If that's you this morning, on the count of three, one, Two, three. Would you reach your hand toward heaven this morning? Amen, amen. Anyone else today? Amen, amen. You can put your hands down. I'm asking ask everyone to pray this prayer with me, whether you raised your hand or not. And, and, and all this is, the prayer is just a conversation with God. And, and my hope, my hope isn't that you just pray some prayer and go about your life, but this is the first of many, many conversations, moments of prayer that you have with God. as you share what's on your heart, the good and the bad, and the ugly, would you all pray this prayer with me together? Dear God, thank you for loving me just as I am with all my baggage, with my past, with my mistakes. Today, I accept your forgiveness. I commit to live for your purposes because my failures aren't final. Give me the strength and the courage to follow you all the days of my life and to show your love to the world around me, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have.